If you've got your Bibles with you, open up to Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. We'll be looking at 18 through 20 today. And if you don't have a Bible, you can lift your hand up. Uh, Kevin and Kenny will get you one. Lots of the scriptures are on the screen today as well. We are in uh, week five of our This Church series. A uh, bit of a review of the His Church series a year and a half ago and the series of 1 Corinthians and just how we see these things affirmed in the church in Corinth. Um, this is the last technical teaching of the series. Uh, we'll do another one, uh, just kind of a, what does this mean, basically, for our church? What does this series mean for us um, in the weeks to come, in the week to come, really? Um, but, uh, but this is the, for those of you that have been troopers, you were at the His Church series, and then you were through the First Corinthians series with us, and then you came through the This Church series. Praise God. Thanks for keeping up. Uh, I know that same, there were times it maybe seemed redundant. This is the direction the Lord has led us to kind of summarize some series here. And so uh, this final, um, final lesson in the series is uh, looking at the church as a missional church, the missional church. Uh, one of the definitions that we have been using of a local church, uh, I have it on the screen for you guys today, uh, the local church is a community of regenerate, regenerated believers who confess Jesus Christ as Lord. In obedience to scripture, they organize under qualified leadership, gather regularly for preaching and worship, observe the biblical sacraments of communion and baptism, are unified by the Spirit, are disciplined for holiness, and scatter to fulfill the Great Commission as missionaries to the world for God's glory and their joy. So kind of our final part of this series is that end half sentence there, that we um, scatter as a local church, we scatter to fulfill the Great Commission as missionaries to the world for God's glory and our joy. I'll make it personal. Some famous last words of people in history past. George Appel was executed by electric chair in 1928. And his last words were, Well, gentlemen, you are about to see a baked Appel. General John Sedgwick was the Union commander, a Union commander in the U.S. Civil War, was hit by sniper fire a few moments after saying this. Oh, come on. They couldn't hit an elephant at that distance. That's sick. I know. James Rogers, no relation, murdered on his final, uh, murdered, but his, uh, excuse me, he was a murderer. His final request before the firing squad was, well, yes, I'll take a bulletproof vest. Pancho Villa said, don't let it end this way. Tell them I said something. Winston Churchill said, I'm ready to meet my maker. Whether my maker is prepared for the great ordeal of meeting me is another matter. And today we want to look at Jesus's final words. And of course, they're not his final words, uh, but they're his final words before he ascended into heaven, where his kind of earthly ministry was finished and it's in Matthew 28 that we have the written account of Jesus's last words. Much more clever than those other men. Much more powerful and meaningful than those other men. Uh, before he ascended into heaven in glory. Uh, as they are his last words, they're extremely important for us to remember and to heed. And they start with this. Matthew 28, 18. Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So before we go into verses 19 and 20, we need to take hope and take stock in verse 18, that supreme sovereignty has been given to the Lord Jesus. This prophesied, Hebrews requotes it in chapter 1, verse 8, to the Son, the Father says, or to the Son, He says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever a scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. So absolute 
power, absolute dominion being given to Jesus. He didn't steal it. It was given and granted to him after his obedience. And so because of that, Jesus can say in verse 19, go. It says, go therefore, and therefore makes you go back and say, oh, because he has authority. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus. Go. Go. Everyone is to go. Everyone is to be on mission. The mission determined by what we value the most. Everybody's on a mission. With your work or with your uh, team, you know, you're, you're on missions to develop. You're on missions to spread. And Jesus has a mission for us. Now, we often deal with the world in two different extremes, two different polarizations. On one side, Jesus says, go, and we might err on one side where we compromise with the world and become worldly and let sin creep into our lives. And Jesus prayed out in John 17, 17, sanctify them by your truth or set them apart by your truth. Your word is truth. And Jesus says, man, I don't want you to, to go into the world and be of the world and let the world's values and methods and, and uh the things that they hold dear seep into your life, but rather uh, that you'd be set apart from the world. Um, on the other hand, we have another polarization that could be sinful as well, and that's to completely withdraw from the world. And sometimes you see that more in the Christian church. We shelter ourselves so much and put ourselves in a cocoon and insulate ourselves from the world that we have no effect in the world. Jesus prayed a few uh, verses before the previous in John 17, 15. I, don't, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. So keeping us in the world, but away from the wicked one. The Great Commission is 61 words that remind us that the church shouldn't become a victim of piety. That we shouldn't just go live up in a mountain by ourselves as the monks do. No, we've been given a mission to be about God's business and to be sent out to engage the world with the gospel. Matthew speaks of this. Mark speaks of this. Luke speaks of this. Luke speaks of it again in Acts chapter 1. These commissions where there's no room to misunderstand what the Lord desires of us as his church. Uh, this, these two polar opposites sometimes are called the, the double identity of the church. In one sense, we're called out away from the world to worship God, but then we're also sent back into the world to witness to the world and to serve the world. These are two classic marks of the church. The church is holy, called out of the world to worship God, but we're also apostolic, which means sent. We're also sent back into the world to be witnesses. So we worship and we witness. Dr. Alec Vidler captures this double identity well by calling it holy worldliness. Holy worldliness. And Jesus shows us how to rightly live in holy worldliness. He came to us in our world and assumed the full reality of our humanness. He made himself one with frailty and he exposed himself to our temptations. He was tempted in every point that we are, and that verse goes on, and I'll get to it in a second. He fraternized with the common people. He welcomed everybody and shunned nobody. He identified himself with our sorrows and our sins and even our own death. Yet as he mixed freely with people like us, he never compromised, losing that unique identity of being holy. He was perfected in holy worldliness. Yes, he was tempted in every way we are, but how does that verse continue? Yet without sin, holy worldliness. And so we too are called out to be kept from the wicked one and yet to be in the world, salt and light, as we studied in the park a few weeks ago. From the very beginning, even in the, the nation of Israel's birth through Abraham, in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, the, the Lord promises him, I will bless you, Abraham. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That word family 
is intended to mean the smallest people groups in the world. Through Abraham, later on we'll see it's the seed of Abraham, the smallest people groups in the world will be blessed. In, in 10 chapters in Genesis 22, 18, it says, In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So chapter 12 says all the peoples or all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Genesis 22, 18 says all the nations will be blessed. That's in Genesis, one end of the library. At the other end of the library, on the other bookend, the book of Revelation, we see the fulfillment of that. All families, all peoples, all nations being blessed. And in Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 through 10, we see a group called the 24 elders singing a new song. These are believers, and it says that you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nations, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. So we see worship taking place. I think in chapter 7, I think in chapter 11, we see similar worship times where the nations are worshiping before the throne of God. And, uh, and we see that it's worship. You are worthy. Be, look at the gospel. The gospel shows how worthy you are to be worshipped. And you've redeemed us out of every tribe, tongue, people, nation. These bookends show the promised fulfillment of all the people and all the families and all the nations of the earth being blessed. You guys are learning that in our church. This is, for some of you, you're going to be ready to preach this message better than I am over the last few months. The 61 words of the Great Commission are Jesus's articulation giving us procedure for that day, for that promised fulfillment when all the nations of the earth will be blessed. I like one paraphrase of the Great Commission. Go conquer the world for me. Carry the glad tidings into all lands and to every ear. And deem not this work at an end till all nations shall have embraced the gospel and enrolled themselves as my disciples. I'd love to read that again for you, but I don't have time today. <clears throat> That's a good one. And as we come here today and we spend time, I mean, we're, we're tasting of that revelation scene, aren't we? What does the revelation scene sing? Scene sing? They sing, we believe in God the Father, we believe in God the Son. We, I mean, they're singing the gospel out there in the throne room. And that's what we did here today. Charles Jefferson wrote a book in the late 1800s uh, called The Building of the Church. He writes, when love is kindled in the hearts of the church members for one another, it's a fire that burns its way to the end of the world. And just a few weeks ago, we studied that we have a duty to each other to stir one another up towards love and good works and to consider one another, to love one another. And as that is burning here, it's a fire that'll burn its way to the ends of the earth. People can see our love here and see the redemption here and see our worship of the Lord here, and it will go out. James Montgomery Boyce writes, it is though the church is the stage upon which God has been presenting the great drama of redemption, a true life pageant in which it is shown how those who've rebelled against God and wrecked his universe are now being brought back into harmony with him, becoming agents of renewing and healing instead. I mean, this is a place where people are watching transformation take place in our hearts. It's incredible. The church is the drama that the story of redemption takes place. A couple, uh, maybe it was a month ago now, um, Jesse Martinez had his, uh, what is it, 50-year reunion? I don't know, 20. Was it really 20? Karen and Jesse. Is Jesse even here to defend himself? Just defend yourself! No. 20-year um, reunion for Crook County High School. I believe Aaron Mapes was there as well. And, you know, he was a total heathen in high school. And, and the man that was putting on the, the reunion knew that he was a believer and asked him to stand up and pray over the class and pray over the meal and stuff. And just an incredible thing. The people see transformation take place. And and no doubt Jesse would share what God has done in his life through the ministry here at the church. This is like the stage that that drama of redemption takes place. And so we see this call to go, that we're to be a, a missionary community, a missional 
community, which means that we are a sent community. I'm reading a book right now called uh, Finish the Mission. Uh, John Piper, Dave Mathis write it. Um, and uh, each chapter actually has a different preacher writing something. So one chapter I'm in right now by Ed Stetzer says, we are a people made new in Christ to live as agents of his mission. This shapes us. This causes us to live sent. That's what missional is. So as we are remembering the cross, as we're remembering redemption, as we're remembering the forgiveness of sins and the price that it was paid for us to be forgiven and and acquitted of our sins, and that not only have we been forgiven, but we've been given a mission now. We're ambassadors of Christ. It shapes us. It changes us. It's changing this church, and it's causing us to live sent. That's what missional is. That's what missionary is. Uh, it's, It's to live sent. Michael O. in the same book describes the mission as from everywhere to everywhere. From here to there, from here to there, from there to here, from there to here, from here to over there, you know, from there to there, you know. We are Christians and we are called to go as the Spirit leads us. God is a missional God. In a triune way, he is missional. God creates. God sends his son. The son redeems. The spirit is sent. The spirit joins and empowers the church for mission. Each person of the Trinity has his place in global and local missions. Missions was... uh, must be first attributed to God before any action can take place from the church. And in 1952, there was a missionary council in Germany called the uh, Missio Dei, or the Mission of God. And it's there that a statement came forth that said, the missionary movement of which we are a part has its source in the triune nature of God. So God himself is a missional God. That's why we uh, go because he went. It's because he sent. We'll get in that in John in just a little bit. First Peter chapter 2 verses 9 and 10 were one of, was one of our main passages in this church series a few months ago now. And, and this passage really gives us uh, as a church identity and also lays out our job as a church. Peter says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, so that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. And so what Peter writes here is that the church is a royal priesthood, so that we can offer spiritual sacrifices to God. We are, a, we are worshipers. That's the number one duty of the church. That's the number one task of the church is that we would be worshipers. But we also are a holy nation, Peter says, that we're to spread abroad God's praises. We're to publish abroad the praises of God. So uh, that speaks of witnessing. So we're worshipers and we're witnesses. In John Piper's book, Let the Nations Be Glad, chapter one starts out with like, you even need to read the rest of the book. It's, it's got a great opening paragraph where he writes, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exists because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, that's that revelation scene, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity. So worship is the fuel and the goal of missions. With all the change that has been in the world, that has not changed. Worship has always been and will always be the ultimate purpose of God in the universe. It has always been the fire that fuels our passion to reach peoples who do not worship the true God through Jesus Christ. You know, that's a bit of a testimony for me and what's been fueling me 
the last few months for missions. You know, I've, I've gone on missions trips before and, and with a heart to, you know, preach the gospel so people can be saved from hell, so people that might, might know Jesus, so that people might have experience, uh, ex- salvation from sin and not go to hell but go to heaven. And, you know, those are good things. Maybe even do some humanitarian work while I'm abroad, you know, and with these groups. And those are good things. But they're not the chief thing we've been learning. The chief thing is God being glorified and God being worshipped. And, you know, in training for Nepal, uh, I've been trying to get in shape and physically able to climb some sort of mountain. And one of those things that I've done is with my father-in-law and Jeremy Green from our church, we hike Mount Shasta. And as we, about 11 hours into the trip where it's just like brutal and you think you're going to die and just fall over and roll down the mountain, you know, we're on a, we're on about a 50 degree incline on a glacier with crampons sticking into the ice and ice axes, you know, and you just look back and you're like, oh my gosh, if I trip, I'm like dead, dead, like, and, and as I would go, you know, the oxygen's way down as you get higher and higher. And there were times I could take two steps and then I'd have to stop and regain my breath and and I would keep thinking about actually from this video these kids and these girls and these boys that are being trafficked and just thinking about them thinking of their faces and oh man if I don't train then man who's gonna go and who's gonna who's gonna help rescue them and inform them of these brokers you know and if I don't go who's gonna help them learn about hygiene you know and who's gonna help them with their education and who's gonna tell them that Jesus loves them. They don't even know the name Jesus. Who's going to tell them the name Jesus so that they can be forgiven of their sins? And But the more that I would think and ponder, I'd remember, man, God has created these people in his image to give him glory. And right now, if they don't know him, they are not giving him glory. They are debtors to him. That's why the Lord's Prayer says, forgive us our debts. It's because we're indebted. We've fallen short of the glory of God, not giving him the glory due to his name. And so... I'll tell you what, thinking about the little girls and thinking about the little boys, I'd get two extra steps in. And, oh yeah. and then I'd think about the glory of God and I'd be like 10 steps later. Wow, you know, and just that's the fuel. That's the motivation. These other things are good things. Don't get me wrong. We are going to go and help and, and bring food and bring training and all of those things. But the chief end is that they might know God, they might be redeemed of their sins, and then that day they will be there in heaven, and it won't be all about them, like, we're awesome, we're in heaven. No, they're going to go, you are awesome, you are worthy, you have redeemed us to yourself, you, Lord. They will worship the Lord. That is the fuel, that is the fire of missions. Under the old covenant, people were never called to go, but uh, the outsiders were to come to Jerusalem and kind of be ministered to by Israel. In the new covenant, we're to be going and sending and almost militant about how it's done. Thoughtful, prayerful, tactful. Mark's version of the Great Commission says, go into all the world. We pray to this end. We pray to fund mission enterprises to this end. We pray that Garage sales will be successful. We pray that God would set apart people from our church to go. And there are some from our church that God expects to go. We want to send. We want to send our best. We want to send missionaries for long term to go and to preach the gospel. Jesus is the best model of this. In John 17, 18, as you've sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And again, John 20, 21, Jesus said to them, peace to you as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And so Jesus himself has been sent as a missionary to this world. And now he sends out the disciples, his disciples as missionaries to this world. Acts chapter one, verse eight is another version of the great commission before Jesus rose uh, into, ascended, I should say, into heaven He tells the disciples, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So we see in this, who is to go? Who is to go? Was the commission only for the apostles, the 11, 
at that time or the multitude that was around his resurrected body? Was it only for those people and was it to be accomplished within their lifetime? I mean, many of those people would be killed at a young age being martyred for Christ. So is that the band that's supposed to take this commission? Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown write, in that little band, Jesus virtually addresses himself to all who in every age should take up from them the same work. Matthew Henry writes, as an eagle stirs up her nest, flutters over her young to excite them to fly, so Christ stirs up his disciples to disperse themselves over all the world. And when Jesus gave the Acts 1-8 commission, who was it that was in the upper room when the Holy Spirit fell, giving them power to go out to the world, to Judea, locally, to Samaria, regionally, to the uttermost parts of the world? Who was there? Who received the Holy Spirit? Just the 11? The then known church, the whole church was there for the Holy Spirit to be poured out upon for the purpose of going, even locally, to be witnesses, to testify, to be martyrs. That's what the word witness is. It's marturo, to, to live for Jesus and to die for Jesus. The church is brought into existence by the gospel and exists for the gospel. It's for anyone who names the name of Christ. They are a disciple. You are a disciple. In Proverbs 11.30, the end of the verse says, He who wins souls is wise. Daniel 12.3 similarly says, Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Mark, in his version of the commission, says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. It's a little different than Matthew's version. He says, you know, go and uh, preach the gospel to all the nations or make disciples of all nations. And the difference is the sphere and its worldwide compass and its universality of the objects, as one guy put it. Obviously, I don't talk like that. So universality? Mm -hmm. What he means is, like, we go and we preach the gospel to peoples, to ethnic, uh, ethnos to nations and all of that and mark says man don't just don't just preach to people preach to all of creation tell of what god has done to all of creation it, it's worship to the lord when we say that in romans 8 speaks to that that all of creation longs for the redemption of the purchased possession all of creation longs for the curse to be no more and for things to be restored to its pre-fall state it cranes its necks waiting for that day and we can say suffering in the fall does not have the final word. Jesus has, has won the battle, and one day he will make all things new. What are they to be doing as they go? According to our text today, go and make disciples of all nations. They're to make disciples. It's not go to the nations and speak the judgments of God upon them as Jonah did against Nineveh or as the Old Testament prophets did. It's not just doing social justice, which has its place, but not only social justice, not only distributing food or clothes or medicine or shelter or other blessings. That's not the chief end. The major verb here is make disciples and everything else falls underneath that that we're to make learners, that we're to make followers, that we're to instruct everything that Jesus has taught us, we teach. And then we make instructors out of them. As Paul tells Timothy, instruct faithful men or teach faithful men who will teach faithful men who will teach faithful men. It's that pay it forward type concept. It incorporates baptism baptizing them. And the formula here is in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Baptism sets the visible seal upon the converts. An individual is declaring that he's come into an abiding relationship with the Lord Jesus and that he is all in and he is in submission to the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The early Christians would call uh, baptism and also communion the sacramentum. Okay, and that's been uh, 
lots of different meanings forced into that uh, from other uh, elements around us, but the word sacramentum was something that a Roman soldier would put upon himself to show his absolute submission to his commanding general. It was called the sacraments, and when, when they would take that pledge, they would go to the death under their general. In the same way, when we are baptized, showing that we are all in, completely uh, flooded and separated and submerged into the Lord Jesus Christ. Separated, I meant, uh, well, separated, I guess, no. Uh, we're all in, we're completely submerged, that's what it was, submerged in the Lord Jesus. Is that what you said, Ron? That's the guy that edits my notes after I preach them, and then he puts them online, so he knows what I think sometimes. That we would be all in under the lordship of our general, of our commanding officer, the chief of our salvation. And so for someone to refuse baptism, one of the first principles of Christianity means that the Great Commission has not quite yet taken effect on their life. The charge here by Jesus is one that's pastoral. There's teaching and instructing for observation in all things the Lord has commanded. Uh, according to the definition of Anglican bishops, they write, evangelizing is to make known by word and deed the love of the crucified and risen Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit so that people will repent, believe, and receive Christ as their Savior and obediently serve him as their Lord in the fellowship of the church. And so to evangelize is to proclaim the praises of God who has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And we are tempted so often to just perform social justice. And, you know, many people do probably go on Mountain Child and, you know, they've been hiking for hope if you follow Mountain Child and all those things. And maybe the temptation is to forget to preach the gospel as well, you know, and forget that element that we are a bit more free to do and to just perform social justice needs. And uh, Francis of Assisi, or maybe you know him as St. Francis of Assisi, who was in the late 1100s, early 1200s, uh, he was a man that was known for his compassionate service and, and ornamenting the gospel through humanitarian aid and, and social justice and loving and laying his life down for people. Uh, he would speak insight, such as our acting and our teaching must go together. He coined the term, preach the gospel and when necessary, use words. And sadly, many people have taken that phrase and, you know, just as an excuse to not open up their mouths and share the gospel, they say, hey, I'm preaching the gospel through my nice behavior where that's incomplete, according to Romans chapter 10. That's incomplete. And even Francis of Assisi would later, or would write, it was actually his motive from the beginning, unless you preach everywhere you go, there's no use to go anywhere to preach. And that was his motto from the beginning. Alistair Begg says, you either evangelize or you fossilize. As Christians, we've been saved out of darkness into the marvelous light to proclaim the praises. That is what we've been created for. The second book of homilies written by Bishop John Jewell of Salisbury, published in 1571, says this, if any man be a dumb Christian, and that meant something different back then, you know, unable to, to speak it's applicable today too if any man be a dumb christian not professing his faith openly but cloaking and coloring himself for fear of danger in time to come he gives men occasion justly and with good conscience to doubt lest he have been excuse me lest he have not the grace of the holy spirit within him because he is tongue-tied and does not speak We've been given the Holy Spirit, not left as orphans, given the Holy Spirit, the helper, the parakletos in the Greek, who will come alongside of us, who will bring to remembrance the things that we've been taught, who will speak for us, who will give us boldness and courage. If you're a Christian, you've been given the Holy Spirit so that you can be a witness. And if there's no witness whatsoever, there's cause for concern. And I would encourage you to just pray out, Lord, Help me. Help me to open up my mouth. 
There's some false assumptions that come with this whole business, and that's first of all that only certain select people, such as full-time ministers and paid church employees, those are the ones that should evangelize. You know, granted, there are gifts of evangelism in the New Testament. Someone that, when they preach the gospel, it seems just that there's a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. In that moment, it is obvious that God is, is present, and this is in the power of the Lord. It's obvious. It's a manifestation. Billy Graham and Greg Laurie or guys like that, you know. But that does not negate the, the commission that's given to every person. We'll be encouraged as we review 1 Corinthians at the end today. Uh, who all is called to be a minister of the message of the cross of Christ? Another false assumption concerning our commission or evangelism is that only converts are to be made to Jesus. When Jesus says, make disciples and then baptize them where that seal is shown upon their life and then teach them to obey, there's prolonged relationship of an of a instructor to the learner in our evangelism. Another false assumption is that we are to only make disciples of our children or of the lovely people in the world. Don't get me wrong, man. Our primary, first all, where we need to be discipling our children. But often that's an excuse to not go into the world and preach to our neighbors and preach to our coworkers. Another false assumption is that everybody is called to a far-off country. And I hope you don't hear that from us as we're excited about Nepal or Senegal with uh, the Genevieve. Did I say that name right? Sorry. I'd say Genevet, but that's way wrong. So Genevet, Fred and Mary going to Senegal. How exciting is that? And, and we prayed for them the other night at Wednesday night. And, but you know what? The Holy Spirit is given for us to go to Judea, which would be like Prineville. The Holy Spirit is given for us to go to uh, Samaria, which would be regionally like Madras and Ben and Redmond and Post and Polina and Mitchell and our region, Warm Springs. How cool that even within our church, we have a woman and a family that, that are ministering to the orphans of Warm Springs. It's just a beautiful thing. Regionally, the Holy Spirit is given. And the Holy Spirit is also given for global enterprises to the uttermost parts of the world. And praise God, he, it's just interesting that he has called us to go to Nepal. And here we are on the other end of the globe and then on a mountain that's like the highest mountains in the world. That's about as far away. That's the uttermost parts of the world uh, on a globe. That God has called us here in Prineville. And while we're here in Prineville, man, we are reaching out intentionally to preach the gospel and to make disciples. And while we're at Walmart shopping in Redmond, you know, man, just give me vision, Lord. If there's anyone you'd have me talk to, Lord, just I'm, I'm here. I'm here for you, Lord. Or we're floating down the Deschutes River or whatever it might be, Brandon Cabs and Post, we are doing it with an intention of gospel proclamation and to make disciples. We're not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And as all of this is within our church series here, Arda Zerdia, a preacher from Portland that, that has poured into us elders, and we just really love him. He says a local church is in a state of decay when going is not in the foremost of her occupations. We're to be witnesses. We're to be testifying with gospel intentionality. When we're at work, we're on mission. If you're at the mill or if you're at Subway, we've got Dairy Queen workers in our church. We've got mill workers. We've got ranchers. We got all kinds of different jobs represented here, restaurant workers and cooks. And, and while we're there, we're on mission. When we're with our friends, we're on mission. I coach sports, not very well, but I coach them, and I'm on mission while I'm there. I'm sent out to be uh, salt and light. My marriage is to be on mission. If we're making decisions about our family, hopefully you have time to think through it, but are we having more kids, and how will that fit in with the mission of God? Our hobbies, how is my hobby pushing the mission of God? How, is, how are my activities, these things, how are they working into the mission of God? The believer's presence in this world is so important. We studied that a couple weeks ago when Jesus says, you are salt, you are light. We have this mission. 
Where and to whom are we to go? First of all, we're to go to all the nations. Our text today tells us. It's the word pass ethnos. And it means go to all, any, and every kind of people. Isaiah 52, 10 says, The Lord has made bare his holy arm in the eyes of all the nations. In the eyes of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Luke 24, 45, this is after Jesus is resurrected. He spent time with the two on the road to Emmaus. He's opened up their eyes so that they can understand all the scriptures and all the prophets and all the law point to Jesus. He's the fulfillment. He opens up their understanding, our verse says, there in verse uh, 45, that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he said to them, thus it is written and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day and that repentance and remission or forgiveness of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. Jesus is telling them as they have their eyes opened to the meta narrative of scripture that it all points to him. And he's got this great plan for all the nations to come and know them. And in his explanation, he says, it was necessary for me to come and to die so that repentance could be preached, forgiveness of sins can be preached, and that it could go out to the whole world, to all nations. And does he negate the local community from needing to hear the gospel and forget Jerusalem? No, it begins here. It's been said, don't even try to cross an ocean before you can cross the street. We need to be preaching the gospel here as well. In Acts 2, 38 and 39, this is Peter's day of Pentecost message he preaches and says, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. This promise of repentance from sins and having our sins washed away and having the Holy Spirit come into our life and transforming our lives. This is a promise that is to the, the Jews who heard it from Peter's own lips and to those who were afar off in that day. And even today, there are some who are afar off that God and his sovereignty is still calling. Romans 10, a great passage. The whole chapter could go in with this, but just verse 18 for today. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed. Their sound has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the earth. Something that we've learned recently uh, kind of through this Birmingham Missions Conference is just um, the current state of global evangelism, that there are seven people in, uh, seven people in the world. Yes? You know that for a fact. Seven billion people in the world. And within that, there are 11,000 people groups, or you might call them nations. Now, a nation, if you'll hear me here, a nation, according to this study, is an ethno-linguistic group with a shared identity based on language or ethnicity. It is the largest group within which the gospel can spread without significant barriers to understanding. So our ethnic-linguistic group is pretty large, isn't it? I mean, English is like the world language, you know. Uh, air traffic controllers have to learn to speak English because that's what they talk over the, the radios. You know, that's very spread. So wherever English is like common language, the gospel is going there. But then there's other places where that's gridlocked. Uh, there are these 11,000 people groups, but then half of that are unreached people groups. Um, an unreached people group. Let me bring it down to like what I've been talking about, about Nepal. And many of you know this already. We have such a heart for Nepal right now. And in talking with Jack in Birmingham, Jack was sharing that there are 329 people groups in this little, it's like the size of New Jersey or something, this, this country. This, this little country has 329 different people groups they're different. They have different languages. They have different cultures. And in this, you know, the gospel can only go so far before it hits a brick wall. And only nine of those 329 groups have been reached. 
The others are unengaged unreached, which means that there's no current effort to get the gospel into those lands. These are, Jack was sharing that these are places that have never heard the name Jesus before. You know, so when you share with them, as he's, they're making their way in over the last 20 years, when you share with them, you've got to use words that kind of help describe who Jesus is. They don't know who Jesus is. They don't have a word for love. They don't have a word for God. And so this description, it's a barrier. It makes it difficult to preach the gospel. And so the current state of world missions are that out of the 11,000 people groups in the world, there are 6,000 unreached, so that's half of that, totaling billions of people, and then half of that are unengaged unreached people. So millions and millions of people who've never even heard the name Jesus. And 2,000 years ago, the commission was go to all these nations. Go to these people. Abraham, the promise is to you that you're going to bless all these peoples, all these nations, all these the smallest groups of people groups because they're going to come before me one day and they're going to worship me in the end. We're to go because these are the last words of Jesus. This is his command. This is his mission for us. This is his commission for us. We should feel urgency to go because the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth has called us to go. And we're to go not in our own power, but in the power of the Holy Spirit as he sends us out. As Tammy and the worship team come up, I pray that as we've been given more and more a passion for his church in these last five weeks, I pray today he would give us a passion and a care for the Great Commission. Whether you're young, whether you're old, whether you're retired, God's not done with you. God doesn't want you to just live the rest of your life for yourself. He's called you, he's called me to go. Psalm 2.8 says, Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance. That's something we've just been, we've been, there's a song with that. It's a great song. We've been singing that. You know, Sundays we come and we pray over a, of a, over a church, or excuse me, over a country. And then we go to Wednesday night and we pray over that country. And we ask the Lord for North Korea, for the president. We ask the Lord for Iran. We ask the Lord for Iraq. We ask the Lord for the leaders of ISIS to be saved as Saul of Tarsus was saved. We ask for the, these people groups to be saved. Incredible stories. Kevin and I were talking about all these men are going off violently for ISIS and it, they leave their families and all of these families are ripe for the gospel and many ISIS families are getting saved. Lord, save in these people groups. Just send out workers. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few and so we pray and we ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. Isaiah 6, 8, Isaiah hears the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here am I, send me. I believe that God wants to make us a sending church. And we want to send our best. We don't want to hoard the people that we love. We want to send them out as God has called us to send them out. A couple weeks ago, we uh, prayed for Fred and Mary and them going to Senegal. And they've got a couple weeks left with us. And Fred showed a video that was right along these lines, just stirred in our heart. And I just really felt as the video was showing, like in that meeting, God was calling people to be sent out. And I was going to vocalize that and I didn't. And then later on, we were meeting with the elders and just there was confirmation in that. And so I'd encourage you in this season of our church and this message is being taught and that this is one of our great duties as born-again Christians that we are to go on mission, to be sent out here and there. That if you feel the Lord calling you, maybe you don't even know what to do with that right now. Maybe you're just, that terrifies you. But maybe you'd like prayer, just prayer, and we would be praying for you. You can come and talk to me. You can talk to one of the elders. You could write a little note on the envelope and drop it in the tithe and offering box. And we'll just be praying for you. We don't need to have any discussion. And, you know, we're not going to send you out next week. Let's just pray. We'll just pray. If you, you're beginning to feel that stirring in your heart, it's so exciting what God is doing right now because people are just being stirred towards the commission and the mission 
of God. And it's exciting when it's done here and it's happening here. And then it's exciting when it's done regionally and it's, you know, it's happening regionally. It is. And globally, it's happening. It's so exciting. I want to close with this quote by uh, the writer Bohr. No comments about when you're a writer and your last name is Bohr. That's, anyways, boring. Acts, the book of Acts, is governed by one dominant, overriding, and all-controlling motif. This motif is the expansion of the faith through missionary witness and the power of the Spirit. Restlessly, the Spirit drives the church to witness, and continually, churches rise out of the witness. The church is a missionary church. And so as we come to communion today, and you can set your things aside and just prepare your heart in prayer right now. As we come to worship in song, and as we come to the communion table, we remember the sealing of the deal of our salvation. We remember the purchase price that bought us out of sin and death and darkness and has saved us into the marvelous light. And that is the precious body and the precious blood of the Lord Jesus. That he willingly laid his life down as a substitution for us. It should have been me on that cross and it should have been you on a cross to pay for your sins. But it would have never sufficed. Jesus substituted his perfect his perfect body in our place. And the Father sent him on that mission. He was faithful to the end. He wrestled. He wept. But he voluntarily submitted himself to this plan of redemption. And as the Father had sent him so he sends us out. And let's remember that today as we partake of communion. During this song, you can come forward on your own time and get the cup and get the bread and just ponder how Jesus was sent by the Father. Ponder how Jesus sent the Spirit to help us. Ponder how Jesus has sent us on a missionary and pastoral work and let's just cry out for his calling and his leading in this church that, that those who would be sent here in town, to different places in town, that would be happening by the Holy Spirit's leading. Those who are to be sent regionally, church planters in the United States and in Oregon, that the Holy Spirit would separate for himself those individuals. And those who would be sent out short-term, mid-term, long-term, globally, that we would say, here we are, Lord. Send us. Send our best. 